Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and Los Angeles. And they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh, hot meals to hospitals and clinics fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants in business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us. And you can keep your local restaurants alive, which is such a great program by World Central Kitchen. And so many of my friends who are in the business have teamed up with World Central Kitchen, a great, great, great organization helping people in need. Go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate. Again, that's theringer.com slash WCK to donate. The World Center Kitchen depends on charities and your dollars that go directly into these meals. It's an amazing not-for-profit organization started by Chef Jose Andres, one of my good friends, one of the best people in the world. We're trying to raise $250,000 to help their cause. And without them, I, I just don't know where we'd be feeding the frontline workers. So please, if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. It just helps everything that we care about right now. So please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com slash WCK. Hello, everyone. This is Isaac Lee, producer of this podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to give you a quick heads up about the sound quality of the interview between Dave and Jessica Koslow, along with Chris Yang. Obviously, we do not have access to any recording studios right now, so this is all taped remotely. And we bumped into a few technical difficulties with both Dave's signal and Jessica's signal. So it'll be a bit of a lower quality than you might be used to. And while I tried my best to make sure none of it was very distracting, I just want to give you a blanket apology in advance for the sound quality. So anyways, here's the show. Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Thank you to Yola Tango, as always, for letting us use their music in the introduction. Um, I wanted to explain Normal Pot. I started a, a Instagram handle called Normal Pot because I was trolling Instapot. Of course, I know it's called Instant Pot, which is exactly why I call it Instapot, to piss off everyone that says it's actually called Instant Pot. We've talked about it enough. I don't want to talk about Instapot anymore, but I thought Normal Pot might be a nice handle to just talk about food things that are not restaurant-related or shit like that. It's simply about equipment. It's about products and food. Could be literally food itself like that I like. It could be a spice. It could be a pots and pan. It could be anything that's a kitchen appliance thing that I would love to give people my opinion on. It's simply just my opinion. It's called Normal Pot. Check it out on Instagram. I uh, I think I'm going to have a lot of fun doing this. It's my time to be a critic about things and to be completely objective about it. And uh, it's the same sort of principle I have with restaurants. Nothing makes me more upset than when diners come to our restaurants and feel they get ripped off. And I hate that feeling. It makes me so mad. 
and I hate getting ripped off when I buy things myself. And there's just a lot of junk on the market right now. And um, I'm looking forward to getting into the nitty gritty of the kitchen world and also just like reviewing food products. So check that out. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about why on Instagram I'm not giving full recipes. Uh, I'm happy to talk about this at a later date, but that's probably the number one comment I get on my feed because I'm trying to show a lot of cooking and cooking techniques and things that I'm making for my family and friends in that where I'm living right now. And we're not getting every ingredient and it's about making it happen. And I feel like having made family meal, which is the meal that you feed each other at a restaurant. And I have always said it's the most important meal of the day uh, that you can cook and screw around, but ultimately you need to make something delicious with almost nothing. Uh, when I mean nothing, you aren't given like prime things to make family meal for because that would cost too much money. So you have to scrounge, you have to be resourceful, and you have to find a way to just make things work, even if they're not perfect. And it's a important crucible, I think, to becoming a really good cook or learning to be a chef because it learns you, you <laughs> learns you, I'm a dumbass, it teaches you how to adapt and to be flexible. And that's basically what I'm making every day now is sort of some family meal with not the right ingredients half the time. And I think we need to figure out how to do that less about following a recipe. Yes, recipes are crucial and important when you're doing baking and certain pastries. And again, certain kinds of things like a foie gras terrine or something like certain things you sort of need certain ratios. But I don't want to give an exact recipe. I think that one of the reasons why so many people don't know how to cook right now is because they only follow recipes and so much of cooking. Again, if it's not a certain kind of genre of cooking, it's split into two camps. You're an improvising sort of professional comedian actor, or you're sort of a scripted actor. You, you never deviate from the script. And right now I don't care about the script per se. I just want to make tasty food. And another analogy that I've been using a lot is in professional kitchens, you just want to hit the bullseye, right? And I think for cooking at home is the kind of cooking that doesn't follow recipe and you're not trying to hit the bullseye. You just want to hit the fucking target because you're on a moving target yourself. You know what I mean? You're like shooting a target from a moving car. So, you know, in a professional kitchen, you want to hit the fucking bullseye every fucking time. It has to be full of finesse and perfection and it just can be rigid at times. And I think part of the home cook is that you're doing crazier things. The level of difficulty might be higher, but you actually don't want to hit the bullseye. You just want to hit the fucking target and that's good enough. And I think it's important that people learn how to fail. And I know that right now it's tough to get ingredients. It's tough to do a lot of these things under quarantine but that doesn't mean you can't have fun with it. And that's, again, what gives me joy is just sort of improvising and figuring out in my head what I need to do. It doesn't mean that I'm not trying to be proactive. It doesn't mean that I'm not planning. It doesn't mean I'm not taking care of my mise en place. It's just, you know, when I'm at home, I try to perfect sandbagging, which is how I define it as being proactively lazy so I don't actually have to work too hard in the future. And uh, it's a skill set that, if used too much in a professional kitchen, can be seen as as bad. But just the right amount of sandbagging is a wonderful thing. And at home, man, I'm sandbagging like a motherfucker. And it's great. So I highly encourage you to do it. And it's not about not giving you guys recipes. But 
if you need to know how to braise meat, for example, like if you have five pounds of short rib, you should know that it's not going to become tender unless you have cooked it long enough or at enough pressure or heat until the connective tissue and the muscle fibers and the very things that give it chuffiness and chewiness are the things that will eventually make it really delicious. And again, right now, the economical cuts are always going to be the parts of a cow or animal that are getting moved the most, right? The more an animal moves a muscle, the more flavorful it's going to be, but it also doesn't mean that it's going to be soft. So I think what I really want to do with these sort of moments to share with the world, my, whatever I'm cooking at home, is the fact that it's okay to miss the mark. It's okay to improvise. And if you fuck it up, you know what I mean? You're going to learn a lot through that. And I think that failure is an important thing. I think I need a, another person to talk to about this because I could spin off the plane. I just talking about recipes on this end. Um, on the other end, I've recently posted about the Chuck steak. And uh, I don't know what you guys feel about this because, again, a lot of commenters are like, you're giving away one of the secrets. Now we're not going to be able to buy that because it's, it's going to be the same thing that happened to oxtails and short ribs. And you know what? At this point, I would rather have people eat better by learning how to stretch meat out or to buy something that may not have to be a prime cut. So while I can understand your sort of anger at sharing it, it's not like people didn't know about it before if I tell them what a boneless or bone-in chuck roast is. I think everybody eats well, should eat well, and this is a time for everyone to get better at cooking, especially me. I There's things that I'm testing out that I could never do at home, and Corey Lee way more articulately talked about this in the first Too Small to Fail podcast. And getting to that Too Small to Fail podcast is this week's guest, Jessica Coslow, the chef of Squirrel and Onda in Los Angeles, one of the truly great chefs in America. She's a close friend of mine, and she's going to talk with Chris Ying and I about the tribulations of operating during COVID-19 in a small space such as Squirrel. She is one of the best chefs in America. I'm one of her biggest fans. And um, she's doing really God's work right now, doing the Lee Initiative, feeding workers and offering counsel to anyone in the hospitality industry that uh, has been furloughed or laid off along those lines. And it's a great organization. And I'm, I'm so thankful that Jess took the time out of her day to speak to us about it and sort of where we're going uh, on this. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit more maybe next week about HACCP plans, hazard analysis, and critical control points. Some of the things that we're going to need to look at Asia for reopening restaurants and things like that. But uh, I think I've said enough about the intro and uh, we'll leave some uh, meat on the bone for next week. But I'll tell you that one of my big things that I'm trying to focus on is the day we can reopen up, the day restaurants need to figure out how to sort of space everything out and to sanitize things. And uh, more importantly, we need to get this information out now because of the restaurants that are open doing takeout and delivery. <sighs> that was a lot. Anyway, quick shout out to Nancy Silverton who tested negative after testing positive and she was sick for a couple weeks or so. She is one of the most important people in America, specifically for 
uh, basically helping us figure out how to do pastry in America for so many years. She was the first pastry chef at Spago at Wolfgang Puck, later was the founder of La Brea Bakery and helped open up Campanile with her then-husband, Mark Peel. And now she has the Mozzaplex, a Moza Pizzeria Moza and Chispaca, and she has got a couple other ventures out there. And she's boss, and I love her very much. Shout out to Chef Eric Rivera at Ado. Uh, we had a nice chat. I think he rightfully called me out for things that I would have called myself out for years ago. But I think after talking to him, uh, I hope to have him see that we're on the same page. And um, thank you, Eric, for hearing me out and. And again, we want to make this right as just about anyone else, and we're trying. And I know it can seem frustrating, but I'm not going to compromise on safety of our employees until we have a better program in place. So again, I want to save this for another podcast, but I have a lot of thoughts about the personal protective equipment and the gear and the masks and the sanitization protocol for restaurants. And it's important that diners hear this too, because this is going to be a crucial element about eating moving forward. And um, I want to give a shout out to Chef Ed Lee, chef of a, a bunch of things, but he's based out in Kentucky and shout out Korean American. And he's a good man and a great chef. And he started an organization that I think is very, very important for the culinary community right now in COVID-19, which is a good segue to my conversation with Chef Jessica Coslow, Squirrel and Onda, joined by Chris Ying, the creative director for Major Domo. Thank you. How bad is your day? <laughs> I don't know that my day is that bad, but I mean, I'm here at Squirrel and it's four o'clock. So the Lee Initiative family meal just started. So we're giving out 150 meals a day and that's going on right outside Ryan, my husband's giving out meals, <laughs> um, as well as some of Nancy's staff from Moza. They've donated their time, um, but it's just it's just tough. I haven't had a day off from this restaurant uh, in months, so I'm I'm really feeling the like uh, the weight of it. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that Lee Initiative stuff and how you got into it and and what what it entails? Yeah. Um, the Lee Initiative is, uh, it's an organization that was started by Edward Lee and uh, his associate, Lindsay. And, and really, it wasn't uh, at first made to uh, feed uh, furloughed and out-of-work uh, restaurant industry folks. It was meant for uh, women empowerment initiatives, um, but quickly turned into... Uh, you know, organizing from state to state to find restaurants that would basically transition into being um, feeding centers for for our industry, since we don't really have much of a um, a backbone or 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 a place to go when things like this happen to us. Yeah, I mean, what what is that like to just have you know your own people, your own the people of your industry, your own workers suddenly becoming people in need who need to get a meal. Like, how does that hit you? I mean, it hits me hard. And, and honestly, it's like, I, I, 
And I see folks from Onda coming from the, the restaurant and, and they're really, really, really appreciative. And I haven't seen that many squirrel folks. Yeah. So Kazo, let, let, let's go back in time a little bit. You just uh, opened up Onda and Squirrel and then this happened. And I know that you were, we had a conversation about like, you know, maybe I, I you know, some ideas out to restructure a few things. And the furthest thing on your mind was a virus. Restructuring company. Squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Restructuring Squirrel. When did you first be like, holy fuck? You know, I would say Onda opened about a week and a half, two weeks uh, before COVID really hit Los Angeles. And I had some friends come for breakfast. We had open breakfast and lunch about two weeks before COVID had hit. Let me just rephrase that. And that was really like the anchor to the neighborhood and the community. Um, and a friend of mine came to have breakfast and that friend lived in Hong Kong during uh, SARS. And she and her husband and and daughter were at the table discussing like how much produce and product they should buy for their house. And I was like, what are you talking about? They had bought $800 worth of almond milk and cereal and toilet paper. And like, they were just on it. And they knew they were so on it because they lived through that. And I was just, I was blown out of, I I couldn't comprehend that that was actually a thing. I was like, those guys are overreacting. And that was maybe three weeks before we shut Squirrel. And every, and, and so that was like my first key point of like, something's happening, but I couldn't really comprehend what. And a week later, I was like, they knew they were on it. They knew what they were talking about. And how did we not know this sooner um, that it was coming? So, you know, I, I began adjusting day by day. I, and I still think that that's where we're at right now is like adjusting day by day. Um so yeah. So you when did you when did you close Squirrel? How long has Squirrel been? Um, I closed Squirrel April third. Okay. So Friday, and you know, I'll also say this is that we in LA are about two weeks behind New York. So you know, I had talked to um, Brooks and you about what it meant to close the restaurant. Like, what do you do? Do you furlough? Do you lay people off? Like, what are the benefits? What are the, you know, none of us have dealt with any of this before. How do you come back? Like, what is your position in, in returning? What does normal look like? And I think our conversation from a couple of weeks ago doesn't even compare to the conversation that we'd have right now, you know? Right. Um, and I, I, I mean, I checked in with Brooks and something else that New York is going through, which, you know, in some ways we aren't going through is, you know, you can't, you can't really be open effectively because the majority of your, your team is on a train to yeah. get to work. And we don't have that. You know, most of us do take our own vehicles and have private lives. And, and I think that kind of seclusion has really helped L.A. still kind of function in some degree. One of the reasons we have decided not to reopen our doors or to do any charitable endeavors, not because we don't want to. I need better safety protocol from the government. And I, I just can't, I cannot do it. I cannot, most of our employees, almost every single one takes public transport, transit to get to work. And again, like you have the same issues at Squirrel as we do, very small spaces at most of our restaurants. Mm-hmm. And if we can't work safely, then we're not going to do it. And until we have better, you know, 
communication as to what to do. So I found that talking to chefs from around the country, it's not nearly as bad. It's bad, but like you can still operate in a restaurant or get to work. So New York is in its own thing. And the craziest thing is I remember people being very critical of Wuhan, you know, in the news, like, oh man, like mm-hmm. how could they let things get so bad? And you know what's ridiculous? We're way, New York is way worse than Wuhan. Really? We're the Wuhan of America, New York City. And, um, you know, there's a lot to, to sort out as to how that plays out. And yeah. I'm trying to remain optimistic, but. Um, I mean, a, a big a big issue also, you know, and you're saying like safety, you know, you can have the staff ready to work and they can take all the precautions they can take based on how we set up protocol. But it's the outside also that was creating a lot of fear for for even my team, you know, the the Postmates drivers with slip on shoes, no, no mask, no gloves. And I, I don't know that there's I, I agree that those kind of protocols need to be mandatory to create some semblance of safety and security for, for us to operate. Um, so that's it. To me, the only thing that matters is safety and that can be done at a national level. And mm-hmm. I, I'm just, we're really itching to do what you're doing. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm, I love you so much that you're doing what you're doing, giving back to the community, considering how hard it is for all of us. And I think it's a testament to the very best of this industry that someone like it, you in this time of need is still giving. And um, uh, we want, we want to be able to join you in that, but it's, it's, it, it kills me that we can't right now. It really does. And, you yeah. know, we're, we're really considering our, our Los Angeles space because, you know, we're doing that. But the next thing is besides like the national protocol is I want to have exact knowledge about masks, what the sanitation protocol is like. Yeah. I have a mask here. This is the one I use. It's old. It's, yeah. mm-hmm. it's, how do I clean this mask? No, you can't. This is what I go outside. It's four to six hours in it's single use. And who knows if a bleach solution even works? Is it, yeah. usually it's like 1% to a gallon of water. So is it 2% now? Is it 3% now? Who knows? And there's so many protocols that haven't been instructed to us. And um, I, I, we need to open up just like everyone else. And um, it's, that's what's most frustrating. How have you been handling with these challenges? Like, obviously, you just showed us your mask. Can you get masks right now? Uh, not, I mean, this was, a, this was a mask that was from, like, I, maybe I bought a box of N95s on Amazon before they, they disappeared from the internet. Um, now, uh, one-use masks are available from um, our IFS, so that's pretty great. Um, which is our paper goods company. Um, and that's a new thing. Uh, that wasn't available to us last week. So now we have paper masks that we can provide to our staff because everyone's wearing cotton masks that are, you know, wash after use. That's all we all have. But you know what we need to know? What if we need to use N95 or K95 from China? What if a food worker needs to use this? Like, Mm-hmm. That's what I'm waiting for. I, I, I'm waiting guys, for that. Like, who can I ask from, you know, a layperson's standpoint? Who would who would you expect to be giving you this advice? Who should be advising? Where is the? Who are you looking to, or, or who do you think should be providing you with this guidance and safety um, measures? I guess I would say it would come from a, a like a government standard. And and you're just not hearing. I mean, you know, 
Jess, we we were all on a call with a bunch of chefs and and you know government people, and I think you voiced this exact thing, which was, somebody please just tell me how to keep my people safe, and mm-hmm. it was just silence. Right? Nobody, nobody <laughs> knows. Nobody. And, I, and I'm not sure that there is an answer for that, and that's a hard question to ask. Um, and I think every day there's a. I, I, probably a bigger issue right now is that every day the idea of what keeps people safe is changing. The way we were operating Squirrel um, when we heard about COVID, what, the first day we closed our doors to allowing guests into the restaurant was very different than the way that we operated when, uh, you know, a few weeks a few weeks later when we were closing the restaurant. Um, so I, I am sure that everyone is as conflicted with like, what is the idea of safe right now? What What is the standard? Because we know that in a day or two, that might change. It's not just semantics. It's like if you're worried about safety, right, from COVID-19, right, but all under the umbrella of what safety is for your employees, then if you let them go, you have to furlough them or, or, or lay them off, then their safety is also jeopardized. And I haven't really been able to sleep too well because of that decision. Um, but having spoken to people that I trust and to government officials, the best thing weirdly you could do is to let people uh, that we didn't let go. We've tried to hold on to as many people as we can that have been long tenured employees or salary mm-hmm. uh, workers is to let them declare unemployment. And when I follow the news about how impossible it is to get your unemployment filed, it breaks my heart because I'm like, did I do the right thing? And if we didn't, I don't know that there's the right thing right now, Dave. It's no one's happy, no matter what we're doing. And I think that's also the hard, hard thing. It's hard. I think we're all losing sleep at night, trying to make decisions that, hopefully are in the best interest of the team and also hopefully in the best interest of having a place to return to. And I think that that's something that um, is, is really heartbreaking. What do you think is going to happen to the business? Are you as uh, pessimistic as I am? I am a little bit pessimistic now. I'm usually a half glass full kind of gal, but um, listening to and understanding uh, that this is something that isn't going to be fixed overnight. This isn't something that will be resolved in May, that this will take time, um, really does make you pause and think, how are we going to get back to this? How, especially in a place like Squirrel, where part of the um, engagement is standing in a line close to each other, sitting in a space close to each other. Have how do you how do you come back to that? And uh, I think in a year, maybe as people start to loosen back up and want to, you know, get back to life, um, but not anytime soon, and mm. especially not for a place like like mine. What about your mail order business? And does that does that? I mean, it's great. <laughs> is it is it like super robust right now? I, I mean, it's Christmas time at Squirrel uh, in terms of, holi- you know, orders at holiday levels. Um, but, you know, that's not the same economics. And, uh, you know, if if you look next to me right now, well, maybe 
That's the printer <laughs> that I print all my orders in. And I'm and I'm the one printing. I'm also the one writing the letters. Happy Easter, Conrad and Allie. <laughs> so this is, I'm four days behind in terms of getting orders out. Work harder. And, uh, Work harder, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing is that... Um, I need to work smarter. I need a little bit of time to like think about how this business is going to come back. And, um, you know, I'm going to spend the next few hours packing boxes. Um, so it really is an issue of, you know, yes, we, we need to keep the people on that we need to keep on. And at the same time for the business to survive, we need to take a moment to, um, pause on everyone you know, in some ways. I wish I could just give you a big hug. <laughs> you know what I learned? If you go like this and you hold yourself and you close your eyes, it feels really good. And it feels like you're hugging someone. So I'm just going to do that. Thank you, Dave, for the hug. Thank you, Chris, for the hug. Look at that. Guys, try it later. I know you want to look cool on, on this recording, but I just can't get my arms try. around myself. <laughs> I just want to embarrass myself. Well, like Jess, I, yeah. was, I, was, I was reading by this professor at NYU who was saying that, um, and he was way more articulate than whatever the fuck I was jumbling out there, that COVID-19 has accelerated life as we know it by 10 to 15 years into two weeks. And what does that mean? Like that all the things, uh, that, we're like going, all the things that were going to happen in our business, mm. right? Slowly evolve over a 10 to 15 year period. Again, if you track over what happened in the past 10 to 15 years, it's a lot of change dramatic amount of change in food. And if you had to condense it in two weeks, I mean, how the hell do you find a sense of normalcy? It's, it would be impossible. But that's what we're going to have to do. And, 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 and um, you know, I think the, that something that I'm trying to encourage myself to do and to my own team at Momofuku is the worst thing we can do are be managers waiting for instruction because mm -hmm. we're afraid of being wrong afraid of doing you know a stupid deed um and i think that you and for sure you we we all need to be leaders which is no one knows exactly what the hell the future is we just have to take some bold bets and if it blows up in our face it blows up in our face but we have no control of that we have to no make the best decision we can and i think one of the things that i feel like all of us are going to do and you're better situated at it than most is Maybe right now your business is going to have to be majority mail order and, you know, a third dining only. Yeah. I, I, you know? I, I don't know. I, and I think the the thing that there's a couple of things. One is, yeah, we could do to, we could go back to doing to go. And we were doing, we were rocking on the to go front. We were so, we were too busy. So, and we also had squirrel away. So we had our market next door that we opened and that turned out to be, the right moment for the right time, you know, that was exactly what needed to happen. But the thing that we're missing is the catering part, right? And that is a big part of any restaurant business that helps to float the number of like quality staff that you need to pay the extra X percent to the managers, to pay the X percent to your CDC kind of comes from that catering arm. Mm -hmm. And when that, you know, 20% is gone and then your revenue is down, um, 40%, you know, you have to rethink the entire structure of what is your new normal. 
Do you agree that the new normal, whatever it is, post-vaccine, right? Because we're not going to get to any sense of normalcy until there's a vaccine or a very strong therapeutic. Mm. That the one thing for a certain that's going to have to happen or people are going to have to pay more for the food. You think people will do that? I mean, just think about people are paying what they would pay to eat in your dining restaurant in their home. And that is mind boggling to me. Mm -hmm. And they're paying the extra, you know, X 10 to 30% because of Postmates and delivery services to eat your food. But think about the new added costs. And again, I'm not trying to bring us down here, but, you know, ballpark estimate is we'd have to, from Momofuku Group, we have 1,500 employees. We'd have to spend for one year, probably depending on the mask, if we just had a surgical mask, $1.5 million just in masks per year. How does that work, right? And Especially cooks, they need to taste. So then they're taking no, no. the mask off but and Jess, then they've got to... No, 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 no. There's no more tasting of food. That's over. That's never going to happen again. Once the government and the health department gets the head out of their ass, we're not tasting food anymore. Someone also said, who's going to blow out their birth, a birthday cake candle? Like, who's going to go and blow out a candle over a cake that's shared? No one's going to do that. Nobody. Nobody. Before we go on, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by Great Jones, a startup that makes cookware that I use and love at home. Upgrading your kitchen tools is one of the best things you can do to improve your cooking. Yet many home cooks don't realize how important it is to replace their old pots and pans. If you're at home cooking more than usual right now because of the quarantine, Great Jones will set you up for success. And they make the process of figuring out what you need and why in your kitchen easy and joyful. Great Jones products are affordable and high quality. Whether you're looking for select products or want to outfit your whole kitchen with their family-style set, Great Jones is a one-stop shop. Great Jones products also look as good as they work. I actually take my blue Great Jones Dutch oven, which at $145 costs a lot less than others of the same quality, right from my stovetop and put it on the table. It looks great. It cooks great. Great Jones has figured out how to make products that both look and function extremely well. I am not staying in my apartment right now where my Great Jones set is, and I am missing it tremendously right now. And I'm probably going to gift my friend that's letting me stay with him a set of Great Jones because I might just buy it for myself right now again because it's it really is a great value for considering the kinds of pots and pans that are out there right now that are just not nearly as good and are way more expensive. Great Jones is legitimately a great deal and a great product for you to cook in because it seems like everyone is cooking way more at home than ever before for good reason. And this will help you out. So please shop at greatjones.com and use the code Chang, C-H-A-N-G at checkout for $25 off your first order of $75 or more. That's greatjones.com, code Chang. If you care about how your food tastes, you should care about your cookware. So don't forget, greatjones.com and use code Chang, C-H-A-N-G, for $25 off orders of $75 or more. And now, back to the show. The people that we were talking to on that conference call, they brought up things that 100% we need. Hazard pay, paid time off, all of these things that have historically been neglected in our business. And we've tried as owners to do our best to offer that to our employees. Mm -hmm. But when it becomes 
like mandated nationally across the like every restaurant business like you were talking about it the margins not having catering like all of a sudden we're going to have a new just whole expenditure that we didn't have mm-hmm. before the only way it works is people have to pay more money for food yeah, and i just true. don't know how this works <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm asking you, like, do you, do you agree? I, I want you to tell me. I'm- I mean, <laughs> yes, yes, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Because those are things that obviously we would, as business owners, continue to need to support through our revenue stream. And that does mean increased food prices. If that is the direction that we need to go, yeah. you are going to see a fallout of even more restaurants. I mean, who knows how many restaurants will actually come back from this, but whoever does come back will come back in, in a way that will have to continually consider these costs. I, I just think that most restaurateurs are not up to date with what's going on. It's you, a lot of you, us. What do you mean by well, that? I think, well, I think a lot of us work on feeling. I, I do. I work on feeling. I think a lot of chefs work on touch and feeling. Um, and, and with these facts and what's happening in the world continuing to evolve and change, it, we're all just trying to adjust based on, you know, what, what the day is bringing us. We're day-to-day kind of people. But to really think out, to think, you know, f- one year out in a way that businesses, conti- you know, try to do when they do five-year plans, very few restaurateurs do that kind of, you know, imagining. But this is a, this is a time where you know, now we need to adjust our, our own ways of operating. I think you're, you're a special case. Um, but I, but I do think not many of us think like that. And that's unfortunately what I'm trying to get us to think about because yeah. these are things we can't control. And I've been having a lot of conversations and people are like, Oh, you're literally out of your mind. But I'm like, no, think about it. The, having a mask is to prevent you from taking it off. How do you taste food with a mask? And if we can't taste food, then I would imagine everything we do has to have a HACCP plan, not just for sous vide. So menu change is going to be much more difficult in the future because everything will be regulated by the health department. You can't just be like, today I want to put this on because in the event there's no vaccine, we're going to need to have accountability for each piece of food Mm -hmm. by who cooked it. So to me, things get bogged down. Again, this is this has been. That really, seems like future. That seems. Yeah, that seems. Future. But it gives. It's literally making me extremely depressed. Yeah, uh, thinking and about I, you know, I I don't know what's going to happen I, in LA, and I don't know if this happens anywhere else. But in LA, the um, health department has also allowed for restaurants to now sell you know cocktails and beer and wine and spirits out of their restaurants and that is a huge revenue stream for restaurants that they didn't have before and i you know i hope that this like acceleration of 15 years allows for something like that to maintain yeah. but i doubt it has it crossed your mind uh, even with the lee initiative of just closing down um i mean i'm really proud of how many people are here every day and the team that's here. Um, I know that we'll be doing the Lee initiative through April and then I I will reassess in terms of, you know, what our funding is at that time. And if we can continue to support it, you know, like Nancy got sick, Nancy Silver Mm -hmm. with COVID-19 and, you know, she's doing great from all, from all Mm -hmm. reports, but 
you know, the, to me, again, preparing for worst cases, what's the plan if one of your employees or yourself gets sick? Yeah. I mean, we would have to immediately shut down for sure. Immediately shut down. Which is why we And also, to- yeah. I mean, the great thing in LA is that there um, are a number of free testing sites now. Um, the mayor uh, put together an extensive list of uh, locations in Los Angeles that you can go and get testing. Um, so that's been great for Los Angeles. Um, in terms of COVID, I would say internally there, we seem to be okay right now. The way that we're providing, handing out food is almost contactless. We, we ask them from six feet away to show us a form of W2 or identification that they've been working in our industry. Um, we drop a bag and then they come and get it. And we, and our interaction is maybe like 10 seconds. So we, uh, over at uh, Moza, it was a little bit more of, do you want this meal or this meal? Do you want which of these? They, they were really having like a, a, a conversation with every single person that came by. Um, but Nancy never really engaged with, uh, the, with that handoff. She was mm-hmm. more inside. So I don't know if it was from, she got it from, a guest or um, someone who had it in at the restaurant. Um, but she see, I don't know if you know this, but she's been very, Yeah. she only got tested because she heard wind that someone else had it. So she, she got tested, but she's not had symptoms. She's been very healthy. Can, Watching a lot I, of TV. I hear. <laughs> could I shift our gears and ask you sort of a yeah. voyeuristic question here? Um, I mean, I think it's so impressive if not, if not surprising at all, how good chefs are and have been at shifting gears and, and helping right now and feeding people. And like Dave said, mm-hmm. like, it's amazing what, what you're that at this time when, you know, you'd have every excuse in the world just to like curl up into a ball and forget the world, like to, to be feeding people. Can you tell me a little bit about like the process of cooking, what you guys are are cooking and, mm. and, and like how that's all going. Is there, is it still, is there like still some joy in coming up with what to cook and <laughs> putting these meals together? Yeah, that's such a, that's such a good question. We're, we're doing, so we're trying to do each week a different place. So this week is squirrel. We have our chicken porridge, which I know you love. So we're, I we're, get, oh I know God. we're giving that chicken <laughs> porridge. Out. We have the sweet potato soup as well. So something for vegans. Um, we chicken get, gruel. we got a lot. Mm. Yeah. Chicken gruel. <laughs> um, so but we, good. we basically give a deli of, of, of soup. Um, we give salad, uh, potatoes, bread from Andy at Bub and Grandma's or some days La Brea bakery bread. Um, and the potatoes come with a ketchup that we make. We make the dressing for the salad. Um, the soups are fresh. And then, um, we have bags of like necessities. So we give out toilet paper, coffee, um, uh, like detergent to wash your clothes. Um, Calgirl Creamery donated like $6,000 worth of Mount Tam and Red Hawk. <laughs> cheese um so they they really you know we have diapers and and um baby food here so depending on who they are if they come with a baby we hand over a box of baby food like it really it's been emotional on that level to see the range of people who are coming from like you know your your barista to like a family that really really needs the the food because both mom and dad work at IHOP and they are all out of work you know 
So uh, I've really seen incredible people come up who are really appreciative. And I think that's been the reason why to do this. Um, I mean, and then it, next week, sorry, yeah, I'm going to tell you this. No, 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 keep so going. I, I hear I'm more. getting excited. So next week, um, a friend of mine, his name's Adam. He has something called Rad Burger here in Los Angeles. So we're now flipping the menu next week and Rad Burger is doing the food for next week. We're making it, but we're doing his burgers and, um, uh, corn donated, uh, patties. So we're doing like vegan burgers, um, as well. So, you know, we're the following week, we want to do food from Onda. So we're just going to like continue to flip the menu. So it's not stale, um, for if someone comes more than once and also for our benefit to like have a little fun doing, um, our, someone else's food. So I don't know what we'll do the fourth week, but, um, at least I know for the next three weeks, this is the food we're doing. Major, major, major domo, fourth week. Major domo food. Fourth week, let's do it. Hundred <laughs> percent. I got to get a W two that says I worked in the industry. Um, no, that's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. But that's so fun, you know. Like that. That. Like, let's just bring a little joy to the kitchen right now by um, yeah. playing around and like. Yes, that food will be the same for the Can week. I just but, say again, yeah. like, God bless you. I love you. <laughs> yeah, I love and, you too. And then, and for you to do this, it's just a testament of who you are and it's why everyone loves you so much because you have a giant heart and you're always giving. So um, it really makes me emotional thinking about what you're doing right now. And I wish, I wish, I wish we were there. I wish. Yeah, I am. I wish we could um, do that. And I think we're trying again. I just, I mean, it's hard, you know, it's, it is hard. Like I don't, I have, Ryan out there handing out food right now with his cotton mask because it's, it's scary. And I know that he's scared too. He's still going to work a couple of days a week. They uh, don't have masks for him yet at the um, courthouse. They just got gloves for them. And, you know, I know that it's scary for him too. And it's weird. Cause I, I weirdly feel safe here in my own, cause this feels like my own home. Um, but it is scary. How is the uh, the world's most risk. handsome and interesting lawyer doing? How's he holding is he, up? Is he ordering Domino's? <laughs> <laughs> I ordered Domino's for the team on the first day, and I felt really good. And I secretly got one thin crust pizza, and you know what? It didn't make it to them. Like I, I ate half of it, and then Ryan took the other half home and ate it. So, you know, yeah. Anyway, it's tough, guys. Yeah. Do you ever feel like when you're cooking right now, is there ever a moment where you forget, like you feel like, oh, this is, this feels like cooking at squirrel. This feels like I'm with my crew and it's working. No, no, but Dave, Dave, you cook a lot at home in general. And I'll say that like, I've spent the last couple of years, like getting way too much takeout for dinner and it's brought a lot of joy Mm. to our relationship to have that time again with each other. So, you know, we've ordered out twice since um, this all really hit. And it was to places that we wanted to support and and show appreciation to, but we've cooked a lot. And it was like that, that reminder that, uh, you can, at least for us, uh, in a jiffy kind of like, see what you have and, and do something with it. I I don't know if you read the New York times piece about how everyone's eating junk food again. (laughs) And, you know, and part of it's probably out of a comfort level. And the other part of it is like, everyone is now, if you have children, you have to find ways to get them meals. And for a lot of folks who've been, you know, maybe don't know how to cook in the same capacity, 
they're doing whatever they can to make a quick meal for their kids. So um, hopefully this is a learning time for a lot of people how to like, you know, hold a knife. That's actually, and- that's actually a myth, Jess. You don't have to feed children. They, they, <laughs> they, don't, they don't need food. It's, that's what I've been doing over here. They just don't get any food. Um, those are our favorite parts. <laughs> it's you tell us just about- crickets. <laughs> just the energy of the universe. You got to tell us what yeah. you've been you've been cooking, though. This is literally the only thing we have to look forward besides to. Besides popcorn, lives. besides popcorn. No, I know you you got me. You know, I ran out of popcorn, and I went I went to the grocery store yesterday to get some because I hadn't had popcorn in like two weeks, and I was I was missing it. So I was the last thing of popcorn I made was for Sierra on Great Jones. We did a popcorn demo, and I was out of popcorn ever since. And I was like, <laughs> babe, guess what? I I'm I miss so much. He's like me. I was like, popcorn. He's like, great. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's exactly what you'd expect. You know, Kong has been donating vegetables to to us. So, you know, maybe I'll take a, a bok choy home and, and cook that. Um, Kong's but the it really, God damn he's it. the best. He's the best. That food, his produce is just all live and you Cow just farms. feel so great. Tao Farms, he does boxes and a lot of restaurants are holding on to them for pickup. So I would definitely recommend anything from him. Um, but honestly, it's just simple foods. It's, it is Passover right now. And every year I celebrate Passover every year. I can't wait for the time that we do matzo brai at Squirrel. And we're not doing any of that this year. So I celebrated Passover with pasta this year. And, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm, I ate pasta. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we're cooking a lot. Just like lots of vegetables, lots of lentils, pulses. Um, very little protein, to be honest. Damn, it's healthy at the Coslow household. I know. Well, that's what squirrel is. <laughs> healthy. <laughs> I know. We were like, what did you cook at home, Jess? And she's like, I took a bok choy home and cooked it. You <laughs> <laughs> took a bok choy home and cooked it? No, she, she pan fried it and she, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did, you know, but like it, it really isn't, I think a lot of people can say, well, I've been braising goose or over <laughs> some sort of like, I don't, the, you, the kind of food that I make ends up not like, there's no description for it. You know, you're just, you, you've, you're whipping up vegetables and grains. Yeah, the thing and, is like you whipping something up is not like anyone else whipping something up. Yeah, because, true. Like, it's yeah, going to be I delicious. Guess. Like you but just I, I love, food. Dave, I love that you are giving a lot of instructions right now. I think that that is a great use of chef's time. I don't really have that time to give, but I love watching others being able to take this moment to, you know, explain <laughs> why or how to make something. So that's a pretty amazing thing that's happening right now from, from chefs. Seems like you have a lot of kimchi going. Shots fired at anybody who's just braising goose at home, though. Just, I yeah. mean, <laughs> come on, guys. No, it's killing me. Just talking to you, Jess, is just making me, like, just killing me because I want to get out there so bad. And New York is not a place that I think you can do it. In L.A., we've been figuring out how we can get it back online, and that'll probably be the first one that gets back online. Um, and whatever we can do to help you out, obviously. I know our team is just... They just want to get back into the swing of things and do exactly what you're doing and helping the community. And um, I mean, the great thing about your space is that you, you've you got the space yeah. to do something like that. It's yeah. hard maybe for people to get to you, but you have a big enough, you know, space to allow for 
great social distancing and an right. easy way of getting things into people's hands. And I think these are kind of the key weeks to to stay at home. So a lot of people are staying at home these weeks. Um, but I think, you know, I, I don't know what next week will bring. But if things are starting to to level out or flatten, it's a it's a great space to to open the doors. And what I've seen what I've seen work, and I think Evan Funky has been really successful in this, is creating meals where the person who's getting the meal gets to make the finishing touches at home. Mm-hmm. You know, so Evan gives a lot of great instructions. Evan Funky has Felix. He's been giving great instructions on, okay, so here's your pasta. You got to par boil it for two minutes. Here's the sauce. You do this. But like, it, it's almost like a blue apron where you start to feel that you're, you know, getting to make this food yourself at home. Um, and I can see a lot of that coming out of Domo pretty, like, easily, especially with the Bings. Like that whole no, situation would be great. You know, we're, we're going to do it. We're going to make sure that we have, you know, everything aligned and, uh, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're ready. Let me just tell you we're ready, but, um, see, that's great. Um, you're far ahead of us. No, 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 no. You're actually way ahead of us, but, um, what do you explain the Lee initiative for any person Mm -hmm. that's working in the restaurant that doesn't know? Can you explain in detail what it is and the economic benefit and blah, 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 blah. Like economic benefit. Like, like not (laughs) economic benefit, but like, what, what are, what are you getting? What are you giving back? And what are the Mm. charitable components? Yeah, sure. Um, so the, the Lee initiative is an organization that is providing, uh, funding to restaurants around the nation that are, uh, based on donation to provide, um, meals to, out of work or furloughed uh, folks in the hospitality industry. And hospitality in in our um, sense of the word would be restaurant workers, cafe, coffee shop, uh, even grocery stores, in my opinion, anyone who's working in the food industry uh, in hospitality. Um, Our funding does come directly through them. And that funding goes to 60% 60% to cover our food costs and 40% to cover our labor costs. So we can operate as long as we have donations coming in to um, make, you know, make our, make our operation functional. And, um, and you can donate directly to Lee initiative. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so you can donate directly to the Lee initiative and you would um, ask that your, your funds go directly to Los Angeles. And that's how, uh, the funds get earmarked for LA and we get weekly draws um, based on who's donated at that time. Um, not only that, but a lot of um, food uh, organizations have donated to in-kind donations. So whether it's uh, Cowgirl Creamery to split to Sfoglini donated 800 pounds of pasta. Um, you know, we got a ton of Topo Chico. I could keep going. Kong donates produce every week. Um, it's really an incredible um, group of folks that are donating. Even Oatly, sorry, Oatly, Sight Glass, and Kimono. Have you had the uh, Yuzu soda? Yeah, they just yeah, donated yeah. a bunch. Um, so it really it feels great because a lot of these uh, food companies, you know, they were going to go to Expo West, which is like the major food event of the year, which brands go to to get picked up by Whole Foods. And so they had a ton of food just waiting in their warehouses and then Expo West got canceled. So they were looking for a place for a lot of this product to go. And especially because it's already in Los Angeles, we were able to pick up even like proteins and kombuchas and nuts and things that um, 
would have probably been. <laughs> I, it's true. It's true. We need <laughs> we have just the essentials. Just the essentials. Yeah, just the essentials. Um, so it, that has been that's been a real joy to help keep this thing running and operating. Is just um, the amount of of kindness that's been coming through the doors. So um, yeah, we do three hundred meals a day. That's one hundred and fifty bags. So each each meal, each bag, or the two bags feed two people. And, can, you, um, can, you, can you explain what we had on the conference call the other day, the, mm-hmm. the dilemma that you have with, with the, the government or the 60-40 split that you're, that you're trying to sort out? Yeah, but what was, I'm trying to think what that was. That like was if the government around, would be oh. able to remedy the problem that you have, not being able to take care of all of your employees while doing this. Right. I, I mean, I think that there's something uh, along the lines of the CARE Act and with us um, needing to bring back um, almost 100% of our of right. our workforce. Um, but on top of that, um, there was a discussion about how these other initiatives that are, you know, whether it's community feeding centers or yeah. you know, feeding to hospitals, they actually require, all of these initiatives require a lot less people to be working because maybe there's not as much front of house hospitality or there's not as much skill needed. I don't need to be making lattes right now. Um, I, I'm not making pasta from scratch right now. So all of those like finer things that like really build up your, your labor, whether it's like dishwashers that are taking plates away uh, or like cleaning plates to the bussers, to uh, the runners, like those are those are currently not really folks that we need. So if if we're in that model and the the funding that is coming in is forty percent food uh, people or forty percent uh, labor, sixty percent food, is it really is a challenge to get back to that labor model that we're at that we were at pre COVID without finding a cure without us returning to normal by June. Can I tell you my prediction of what's probably yeah. going to I think? Tell me. Um, I, I think that in, in the coming months, the government is going to roll things up. And I know I'm being incredibly optimistic about the imbecile that we have in the White House, but I don't think it will be his decision. I think the rest of the legislative branch will, will figure out all the the efficiencies we can have if we just sort of um, make it a little bit easier for the government to, under its umbrella, do what you're doing right now with the Lee Initiative. And I think that mm-hmm. you're going to see more things like this, and it's not—it's going to be a more equitable split for the employees that are going to work. Because it's not about the restaurants. It's literally about keeping your employees paid as much as you can. And I think that there's too many sort of, red, there's too much red tape that's preventing that from happening. And I really do believe that you're going to have uh, some agency creating community centers, enlisting restaurant workers to feed people. And I think it's going to be, and I was telling Chris this the other day, I think that if World War II uh, needed women to, to basically be the backbone of production in America to win the war, this is effectively our war of our generation. And it, it truly is. And what happened after that war? People were cooking at home. There, yeah. there was no money that people were cooking. They were. Yeah. And it was I, a different I, time. I, you know, besides obviously the healthcare first responders, the NT, the nurses, the doctors that should get all the resources. Um, 
you know, once this flattens, we're going to need to feed people on a mass scale. Mm-hmm. And I, I do believe that, um, you know, Chris came up with a good name as a joke, but you know, Susie the Saucier. <laughs> we're going to need something. We're going to need to rally behind something and 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 to bring, you know, to sort of have a government sponsored, you sort of restaurant agency mm-hmm. to, to put cooks in places where we can feed people. You know, and um, I think that's going to happen. I don't know why I'm optimistic, but I'm optimistic about that. And I think that will yeah. feed people and pay pay cooks in this industry or people that are front of the house that may not be making lattes, as you say. It's the most optimistic thing you're, you're here for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is really, that, that was something enlightening on our call was the discussion of how government agencies can, can provide more support for us. It's going to um, Yeah. It, but, you know, I, I will say this is that there's something beautiful about service and about front of house service. And I do wonder what's going to happen with that. You know, those are real professionals too. And um, what is your take on, I don't want to leave this on a positive note, but before I do that, what is your take on delivery? <laughs> I mean, look, I feel like Squirrel was so, always set up to be a delivery model in some regards. We could never feed everyone in the space. Um, Chris is stuck. Do you see him? Is he stuck yeah. on your screen? Yeah, oh, there you're back. <laughs> yeah, you're still stuck. Um, I'm just very still. Um, yeah, you know, so, so because that we, because we were a delivery, had the delivery model in our minds, it, it did work. But the, the true issue with delivery is it does take a lot of space to box up those boxes. It's not just the plates coming in and the plates going out. It's that the, the food comes up, it goes into a box. Then you have to write the name on the box. Then you need to get in the right bag and then you need to get the bags off the expo station and out. It's actually quite, um, intense when a hundred percent of your, um, mm. revenue is coming from to go. So it's something that we we're prepared for, but we weren't prepared for the, the shift from 20% to a hundred percent. Um, and that is overwhelming. That was overwhelming for us. Um, I think now we're, we're, we're better, you know, now that we've had a week to like, you know, wiggle ourselves a bit, we're, uh, I think we'd be able to come back stronger knowing how to kind of rejigger, you know, to go, but we're, we're set up for it. I love it. I think it's great. I, I think it's the way people will be eating. So I mean, what do you think I, about it? Can I just, can I just say like, I know, it? I know Chang is, is very afraid or, or at least nervous about what a delivery to go future means for the business. Um, the last restaurant meal, I was just dawning on me right now. The last restaurant meal I had, the last meal I had at a restaurant was at Squirrel. No, <laughs> I saw you. I, um, I, I saw you there. It was, we had already started engaging in the no handshakes and no did hugs. You t- did you tell her about the Yelp review you left? <laughs> I told her about the Yelp review <laughs> I you? left. Uh, you know, Chris, I, why? I, I just thought, <laughs> Chrissy, Chrissy Foodie 22. <laughs> that's me. I, um, you know, and as much as I like talking to you guys and catching up over Zoom and, and whatever, like this fucking sucks and I cannot wait to be back um in person at a restaurant and and hopefully I'm not the minority. Yes. Hopefully when like this is safe, like I know this is an unnuanced view, but like fuck, you know, delivery into go. Like I there's nothing replaces walking into squirrel, walking no, into major domo and like seeing it's you true. guys and, That's and true. being together. That- 
Yes, you're right. You're right. And and would if I had to pick for here or to go, I'd pick for here 10 times out of 10. I would not pick to go. But I... I know it's a, I, it's a necessary you know, evil. It's a necessary evil. I want to be prepared to accept it. Can I, I, can I just tell you? Of course. This is the... This is, again, what I believe is the future, is that every restaurant, if you're a three mission star restaurant, if you're not doing takeaway delivery, you're not going to be around. I mean, Vespertine doing $50 to goes right now. Vespertine is like considered one of the finest restaurants in Los Angeles. The fact that they're doing to go, I'm like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll splurge on that, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and even rethinking Onda, whatever that means for whatever it comes back as. You know, uh, our call yesterday was was very clearly we have to be able to come back as a to go and for here in terms yeah. of PM model. I also think we'll see a lot of restaurants shifting from AM to PM. And when I say shifting, if they're open all day, someone like something like Squirrel, you know, my goal is to actually shift into having a PM restaurant in there that's not squirreling. So it's something only available at night. It creates a demand that is there at night. And the same thing happens. Squirrel during the day is like there during the day, craveable during those hours. You and heard it here first, guys. Squirrel after dark. It's coming. Squirrel, squirrel after adult. dark is is a totally different name. And I'm very excited about it. But uh oh my God, sorry. Never mind then. <laughs> yeah. Squirrel after dark. But it is called something else. But you know, if you think about Okonomi that's in um uh, in Brooklyn, they have Yuji Ramen at night. I, I think that's a big possibility for for restaurants to try and capture different audiences if you can. You know, I don't know how you think about that, Dave. It's it's is that just like running the hamster wheel at some point? No, I, I think it's the new norm, and you know, Vespertine, and I love that restaurant. Uh, it's pretty like spaced out to begin with, mm-hmm. uh, but I would imagine just about any restaurant. Outside of Vespertine, uh, if you're doing that quality or level of food, you're still going to have to do takeout and delivery. That's not going to end. Uh, I think it's the new norm. And the quicker we are at adopting it and understanding it's not what we all want, the better off we're going to be. And I... I, 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 I mean, I we were th- asking about Co. Like, what, do you, what are you going to do for, for Co? But it'd be so um, fun to, to see what that would look like. You know, I haven't talked to Sean and Sue about that, but my take on food right now is this. If it doesn't bring people joy and, like, spark life, who fucking cares about anything right now? If it doesn't give nourishment, who cares about it? So whatever it is, that's all that matters is, like, to reverse engineer from there. And and, and, uh, people are going to come back out. And when we do, like, we got to be ready because we're going to have to shift gears again to, to, to hopefully meet that demand, whatever future that looks like. But uh, I'll be honest, I'm really not that worried about restaurants. I am, but it's not my concern right now. Um, my concern is trying to figure out how to take care of everybody that's out of work right now to the best of mm-hmm. our abilities um, and keep everyone safe. And the restaurants, they're out of our control, at least in New York with the virus. Um, and I pray to God it doesn't get worse in any other city. Um, and we'll have plenty of time to figure out what those restaurants have to look like when they come back on online. And, you know, Chris knows this. I, I'm pretty pessimistic about all of it, but I am excited about what that looks like. You know, I have fear because I think it's going to have to be more expensive. But I'm also excited because we don't have to inherit 
any of that bullshit that we had to in the past. And it's going to be an opportunity to start anew. Totally. And this is the opportunity to take it. I don't want to say take advantage of, but it is the silver lining is like, how do you want to emerge from this? Like, are you going to find the ways to, to grow and change and evolve the way that you need to, or are you going to get stuck in something that will likely not work anymore? Yeah. Well, um, you have anything to add? I, I don't, I don't want to keep you on. You, you're literally doing important things and, uh, <laughs> I feel like we're not. (laughs) Thanks. Well, that was our conversation with Jess Coslow. You know, I, I I really want these to be positive things and I'm trying, I'm really trying, but uh, I love her very much. And she's doing real God's work type of things right now at squirrel with the Lee initiative. And, uh, I've been trying really hard to get her masks, and it's been fucking hard. And that's a whole nother story, too. So we need to address the mask situation for restaurant workers across the country. But uh, keeping things on a lighter note, I know we mentioned that we want to do a bad movie club on Burnt, starring Sienna Miller and Bradley Cooper, one of my... um, I've watched it a bunch, man, but I fucking hate that movie so much. Can't wait to talk about it. I think we're going to try to get Joe House to talk about it. But I encourage you guys to watch Burnt. If you're not watching the Michael Jordan doc, Last Dance on ESPN, I cannot wait to check it out. Much like anyone else that likes sports and Michael Jordan or anyone else that just liked Michael Jordan, which was basically the world over. So I'm going to check that out now. Please give us five stars, however you rate this podcast, on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Too Small to Fail, Jessica Coslow. Thank you very much.